and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good morning. Hey, happy Easter. We're excited to have you guys with us today. If you're a guest and one of the seats in front of you, there's a welcome card. If you could fill that card out and then after service, you can take that to our lobby and drop it off at our, at our welcome table. We just want to thank you for hanging out with us today. Or you can drop it as you leave. You can drop it in the offering. But if you're a guest, if this is your first time, fill out one of those cards for us. We'd love to have a record of your visit. Man, last Easter, we didn't get to do this, right? Last Easter, we were all sitting in our homes watching, if you were a DC or you were watching me on a screen, you know? And uh, I enjoy being in the room with all of you so much more than in my living room with my kids laying upside down with their feet in the air and the dog bothering us. This is much better. Happy Easter. We're excited to have you guys today. And hey, I want to confess something to you guys today. You all right if a pastor confesses something on Easter? I want to I confess today, and I don't have some real juicy confession, but I do have a confession to make today. Um, every year around Easter, we start planning for this service, and we started planning around two, two and a half months ago, and we started walking through kind of scenarios and ideas for this service and what, what it would look like. We came up with what I thought was some pretty cool concepts and pretty cool ideas. Because how many of you know when you're planning Easter, this is my 15th year pastoring this church. We started it 15 years ago. And for 15 years, I've preached Easter messages, you know? And uh, how many of you know you can't really change up the Easter story? The Easter story is what it is. But we're always trying to find out some way to kind of bring something fresh or new because I want to inspire and I want to challenge people. I don't want the Easter story to become stale or old or routine for us. And so we, I mean, this is a beautiful story. It's about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we want to make sure that people's hearts and eyes and minds are opened up to that. And so we sit down and we strategize and we plan. And around eight weeks or so ago, we talked about Easter and we came up with this concept. And here was the, here was the plan. We were going to talk to two DCers, one from Republic, who you saw already, Chandler Childs. What a great story. And we're going to talk to another guy from our Marshfield campus. And we told those two men, you've got a 90 seconds to two minutes to tell your story. 90 seconds to two minutes, and we're going to open up the service with that story. And it's going to be great in your face. It's going to be raw. It's going to be real. Your life has been changed by the cross, but you only have 90 seconds to two minutes. Well, our video guy calls me after shooting the first video he shot at the Marshfield campus guy and shot his story. He says, Pastor Chad, he says, these videos are not going to be able to be 90 seconds long. He said, there's no way. He said, the story is too powerful. He said, in fact, he said, the shortest one we were just able to shoot is longer than 10 minutes. Here's the confession. I got angry. I, in that moment, got angry at my video guys. I got angry at my Marshfield people. I was angry. That's not what I asked for. That's not what I planned. That's not what I said I wanted. And I'm thinking, how do we, how do we scrap this? How do we redo this? You got to do it in 90 seconds. That's my plan. That's what I envisioned. That's what I picture. And so I was, I was literally, I was upset. And I was thinking, how are we going to figure this out? What are we supposed to do? And I was really, in this moment, I was at a loss for words. And I was thinking, Easter is ruined. That's what I thought. I'm like, the service is ruined because you guys messed it up. That's my confession. 
But I mean, you know, God wasn't upset. God wasn't confused. God wasn't at a loss. God had a plan. And how I many you know, oftentimes, uh, in the midst of living life, life thr- sometimes, just like these videos, doesn't uh, lay itself out according to how we think it should. Sometimes life doesn't play fair. It throws hard times at us. You know, I've never met anyone that said, you know what, I just want to go through some pain. I've never met anyone that said, I just want to experience hard times. I've never seen that. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I would say, man, I want a story because I would look at people that had stories like Chandler's and I would think, I want a story like that. I want a story of hope and I want a story of redemption. And, and, but I never said, but I want some pain to go with it. I just wanted a story. I mean, you know, stories oftentimes come with pain. You know, I've never met anybody that said, you know what? I can't wait till suffering comes my way. I've never met anybody that says, I am loving this painful season so much, I wish I just had more pain in my life. I've never met anybody that said, you know what, I want to be an addict. I've never met anybody that said, I want to be homeless. I've never met any single person who said, I want to go through a divorce, I want to experience all of that. But how many of you know, in this life, we're going to have some hard times. It's not if life throws you a curve, it's when life throws you a curve. And there's going to be hard times. There's going to be lonely days. And when those hard times and those lonely days come our way, we can very easily find ourselves just believing in Satan's lie that says, this is how it's always going to be. This is always going to be what's going to happen in your life. Your mind story will never end with a happy ending. It'll never be a story worth telling. And I mean, oh, without Jesus... That may very well be reality. Without Jesus, you may never have a story worth telling. That's kind of the picture that it paints for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. And it says, remember that in those days you were living utterly apart from Christ. You were enemies of God's children, and he had promised you no help. You were lost without God and without hope. But verse 13 tells us kind of where we can find hope. But it says, now you belong to Jesus. And in just a few moments, I'm going to tell you how you can belong to Jesus if you don't already know. And though you were once far away from God, now you have been brought very near to him because of what Jesus has done for you with his blood. Our hope is found in Jesus. In Jesus, we have hope. We have hope for a future that our future will be redeemed. In Jesus, we have hope that but my present days, even though I face hardships and times, I have a purpose and God has a promise for my life. I have hope right now, even in my past, that no matter how great my failures were, God still can redeem my past and God's power is greater than my past and he can still transform my life. In Jesus, I have hope. In Jesus, I have hope. Now, when I speak of this word hope, I don't speak of something dreamed of or that might happen or that might not happen. No, my hope in Jesus is secure. My hope is secure in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus finished it on the cross. My hope is secure in that. And that's where Chandler Childs found hope. Our very first story, he found hope in Jesus. Our second story... Jeff Stone, Marshfield campus, head football coach at Clever, found hope in Jesus as well. Let's check out his story.
this is probably the first time I've ever told this story in its entirety. Um, and it, it, it may be pretty tough for me, but uh, this is my story. I think if you were to describe my uh, teenage years and my childish years, um, you would you would see a kid that felt very inadequate, starving for attention, loud, obnoxious, um, constantly trying to get what I wasn't getting at home. And I realized early on that um, the better I performed at sports, the more or less people cared uh, about the things that were going on in my home life. As long as you played sports and you were in a certain clique, then you kind of fit in people didn't care um, and my life on the outside was much different than how I felt on the inside about myself uh, on the football field or baseball field uh, I felt invincible I felt like I belonged but when I went home at night uh, I would say I felt uh, alone um, inadequate um, lacking uh, and what this what this caused my life to do was snowball downhill like a lot of kids where you internalize a lot of things. If you were to look at my transcripts from high school, I graduated high school with a 2.0 GPA. I was ranked 135 out of 175 kids. Um, my, my, my saving grace was that a football uh, university saw me play and wanted me to play and I test really high on my ACTs and I was able to go play uh, football in college. Um, my spiritual life up until my college experience um, was basically my friends asking me to go to church on Easter or somebody uh, inviting me to acquire the fire or a youth event and I could fit in and I could go through the motions and there would be altar calls and I, I wouldn't go up there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't submit. Um, I was just having so much pain in my life and didn't know how to, to vent that pain and where to go with that pain. But I, I, I've always fell back on being a really good athlete and that could push me through. Um, so you have this kid who is not exceeding, succeeding in the classroom, not excelling, um, basically a degenerate who is going to play football in college. And I felt like there was a lot of people around me that I respected who expected me to fail. Um, I told myself I wasn't gonna drink alcohol in college. Um, I wasn't gonna party and I was gonna show up to class as, as, as crazy as that sounds. Um, I didn't have very high expectations of myself, but I thought to myself, hey, if I just don't go party and I don't drink and I just show up, maybe I can prove all these people wrong. And the reality is like, um, I was thinking all these people thought I was going to fail. The reality was I, I thought I was going to fail. It was me that didn't expect me to succeed. And just having really low expectations of yourself of always feeling inadequate. And, and most of that comes back to just being, being raised in a single parent household, raised alone with my dad, um, not having the things other kids I felt like they had. Um, I, sports was my one avenue. And, and if I didn't have that, then I, I had nothing. And so I would come home every weekend um, because I was so homesick. And, and, and there was times when I'd come home where I just wanted to stay home and not go back because I was so lonely. My social friends, partying, um, who I was hanging around, what sport I was playing. What happened to me is I went to college and all those things were taken away from me. And I was just Jeff Stone who was inadequate and insecure. And I, I couldn't be loud and obnoxious. And I was alone with my thoughts in this dorm room. 
one thing my dad always did when I was young was uh, he picked up hitchhikers. And so if we were driving, he would pick up a hitchhiker and they'd get in the back of the truck. You can't do that in, in, in 2021. But I would drive on the interstate to college and I would pick up hitchhikers. Um, I didn't always see one, but if I saw one, I pulled off and I picked them up. Um, and I really got fascinated with picking up people on the side of the road because the reality is a person who's walking on the side of the road has nothing to hide. They don't got nothing. One day I'm driving back to Kansas. So I'm going from Springfield to Kansas. And I see this guy walking on the side of the road and he's wearing cowboy boots, a cowboy hat, Wrangler jeans, and a pearl snap shirt, but he's walking. I had never seen a hitchhiker wearing a cowboy hat and cowboy boots. And I remember thinking, man, I, I bet it's terrible to be walking on the highway in cowboy boots. So I pull over and the guy gets in and he reaches over and shakes my hand and he says, my name's Wyatt and I'm much obliged for the ride. I'll never forget those words as long as I live because no hitchhiker I ever picked up ever shook my hand and ever introduced themselves. Um, so I knew this was unique and we start driving towards Mount Vernon and I could tell he was thirsty. And I pulled over Mount Vernon, left my car running and went in the gas station and got him something to drink and brought it out. I just had a real calming presence about this guy. Um, so I asked him, why, what are you doing? Why are you going back towards Oklahoma, Kansas? And he said, well, I'm a ranch hand in Western Oklahoma. I work on horse ranches. And in the wintertime, the ranches shut down and we had to find somewhere to stay. I came to Springfield to stay with my brother, but he was in the hospital and his liver is failing. And they wouldn't let me into the hospital room because I don't have a driver's license. And so here I am, I'm going back to, to Western Oklahoma. And I said, well, Wyatt, if the ranch is shut down, where are you gonna stay? And he said, I don't know. Um, and so I said, well, why, why is your brother dying? Why? And he said, well, um, me and my brother served in the Vietnam War, not together, separately, um, but at the same time, we, we enlisted so that we, we could avoid being drafted. We knew that our number was gonna be called, and so we just went together. The war was over, we came back, and I talked to him about what he'd seen, and he talked to me, and we had seen the same stuff, and we both didn't know how to handle it. Um, so I just moved to Western Oklahoma and started working on ranches, and my brother started drinking, and he's never stopped for 30 years. And I said, uh, why do you think your brother will stop drinking? Will he live? And he said, no, he'll die in the hospital. He can't stop. And I just, I just felt the helplessness in my heart. Um, and we're driving, I'm only on the highway for about 30, 35, 45 minutes. And I have to go north and he's gonna go on to Oklahoma. So I pull over the side of the road and my car was a mess. I drove a 91 Grand Am and it was just covered in clothes and everything. And I, I, I looked at him and said, Wyatt, I don't got no money, but you can have anything in this car. And he said, he looked around and he said, I don't want anything in your car. And I, I don't know why I said this to him, but I said, Wyatt, do you believe in God? And he said, I do believe in God. He said, I pray every night. Um, and I said, Wyatt, I can pray for you. And uh, he told me that he appreciated it. 
<laughs> I'm laughing in my head because I never prayed for nobody. So he gets out and I go on. Well, I, I can't stop thinking about this guy, right? So I go back to my dorm room. And that night I lay down in bed and I was thinking, I told this guy I got to pray for him, right? So I just say a quick prayer like, Lord, watch after Wyatt. I hope he has a place to sleep tonight. And the next night I prayed for him again. And then the next night and then the next night. And then about the 10th night, I'm like, I'm not going to pray for Wyatt. Okay. I'm never going to see this guy again. And I am, I, what am I doing? And then I'd try to go to sleep. And then I would wake up and be like, all right, I'm going to pray for him. And I just say a quick prayer. And then about two weeks after that, I think, well, I'm praying for Wyatt. I, I think I need to pray for my dad, my mom, my sister, my brother. And so I didn't really know how to pray, but I just start asking God to, to, to look after my friends and family. If you fast forward uh, to the springtime, so six months later, um, I'm driving from Kansas back to Springfield and it's pouring down rain and I see somebody walking on the side of the road and they're wearing a rain jacket and the rain jacket's pulled over their head and I am like, man, who wants to walk in the rain? And so I pull over in front of this person. This person gets to my car. The guy reaches out, shakes my hand. He says, my name's Wyatt. I'm much obliged for the ride. And I hadn't seen him because he had the, the, the rain jacket pulled up. But I also realized when I look into his eyes that he doesn't recognize me. And so I'm like thinking while I start driving, should I say something to him? Like, hey, I picked you up six months ago. So I just decide I'm not gonna embarrass him, right? I'm not gonna say nothing to him. I'm just gonna keep driving to Springfield. And so same scenario, I ask him, hey, what's your story, man? What's going on? And, and he proceeds to tell me the exact same story he told me the first time I picked him up. Only at the end of his story, he says, uh, um, he said, man, you never believe it. My brother ain't never been to church in his whole life. And he got out of the hospital and he started going to church and sitting in the back row. And he said, the guy's never been to church. And he like screams it at me. And I, I'm just acting like this is the first time I'm hearing the story. And I said, man, that's awesome. And we keep driving and, he, and he's so excited because he says his brother had found him a job at a sawmill and he's never going back to Western Kansas. And the whole time I'm trying to like, you know, it's like a beautiful mind. I'm trying to like, okay, if I'm on I-44 for 40 minutes, this guy's in Western Oklahoma, that's nine hours away, like the odds. And, and, and if you don't know this, hitchhikers don't walk, right? People like me pull over and pick them up. So the odds that I'm on the same stretch I-44, I'm working it out in my head and uh, I get to Springfield and I just let him out and I'm, I froze. I just was like, hey man, nice to meet you and shook his hand and he got out and then I just kept driving and I, I drive for about um, maybe a minute and I just pulled over and uh, I just start crying and uh, I just accepted Jesus Christ in my heart. And um, you know, uh, it was like my whole life had just been lifted off of me. And um, the inadequacies that I felt before that were gone. The expectations, the, the things about me that I felt bad about were gone from me. And I don't know why that happened to me. And I've tried to, I've tried to figure it out, tried to think about it. And um, 
I don't know how often God does that to somebody, but um, I know that that day um, was my time. And um, my life has never been the same. And I used to think when I was young, I would look at these people who were Christians in my town, and I thought their life was this trajectory that went all the way up to heaven. And what I've learned 17 years in is that my life is like this. But even when I'm at the very bottom, I know my way home. And that's the only thing that separates me from the, the average guy on the street that doesn't know Jesus. I just know the way home. And I've stumbled a lot since then, but the weight that was taken off me that day, um, and I had always been told, hey, you gotta come up this altar and you gotta get on your hands and knees, we're gonna pray for you. And I'm just here to tell you that God will find you wherever you are if you remove the obstacles in your life and you allow that to happen. And I'm living proof of that and uh, that's my story. Remember at the beginning of the service, I told you that uh, the video didn't really turn out how I wanted. Didn't turn out how I planned. Didn't kind of lay out how I had an agenda for the service, but I'll be honest with you. After I watched both of these videos and spent several moments crying, what I thought was just gonna be a cool opening video actually became the centerpiece of the message. Because I wanted to tell you, there's hope. In Jesus, there's hope. In Jesus, you can have a future. In Jesus, you can have a story worth telling. And you see, I believe today that Jesus, in this room, no matter where you are, no matter where you might be in your story, I'm here to tell you that Jesus has a story for you that's worth telling. You know, it's Easter, and if we pick up the story of the crucifixion in Luke chapter 23, we find something in this story, and I've read the story of crucifixion, and I've preached on this story many, many times, and I've even referenced these words, but these words didn't hit me in the face until a week ago tonight. I was laying on my couch, Still struggling with the service, trying to figure out. I hadn't yet watched these videos. Remember, because I was angry. I was laying on my couch and I was like, Lord, you've got to help me. What do you want me to preach? And Luke 23 came to mind and this phrase came to mind. And the next morning I watched the videos and I cried. And so up until this point, we see that Jesus has lived a sinless life. He continued to live a sinless life. He's loved the unlovable. He's given hope to the hopeless. He's healed the blind. He's healed the lame. He's healed the leper. He's healed the deaf. He's healed the mute. He's raised people from the dead. Jesus was the perfect representation of God to humanity. He was perfect. He was flawless. Yet he was still betrayed. 
He was still betrayed. He was still abandoned. He was still hurt. He was still rejected. He was still falsely accused. He was tried illegally in the dark. He was condemned even though he was innocent. He was beaten beyond recognition. Remember, this man is innocent. He's holy. He's blameless. He's spotless. He's the perfect representation of God to humanity, yet he's still beaten beyond recognition. And he's made to strap a cross onto his back and carry it through the the hundreds of people that are there. He's nailed to that cross that he has to carry. And once he's nailed to that cross, it's fastened to another beam and it's dropped into the ground. And it's here where Jesus is dropped into the ground, nailed to that cross where he's suspended between heaven and earth that Jesus utters some words to me that absolutely don't make sense. He baffles me. These are the very first words that Jesus utters through this entire process. And you can see this in scripture. These are the first words he says. And what I did with this story is I put myself in the scene. When I was reading it, when I was thinking about it, when I was writing this sermon, if I had have been there and Jesus has not uttered a word the entire time, he's not said anything when they were beating him, when they were putting a crown of thorns on his head, when they were spitting on him, all those things, he's not uttered an entire word, yet here we now find him hanging on that cross, suspended between heaven and earth. I, I'm telling you that here is where I would have leaned in. What's he going to say? Is he going to call down fire from heaven? Is he going to ask the angels to come and deliver him? Is he going to curse those who've been cursing him? Is he going to belittle those who've rejected him? Is he going to pray for God to relieve him from his pain? What's he going to do? I'm leaning in at this moment. His, his lips are moving. What's he going to say? But the issue is he doesn't say any of those things. But Jesus, while hanging on the cross, dying for you and dying for me, became a living example for us of the words he said to the crowd in Matthew chapter 5 verse 44 when he told them, hey, pray for those who hurt you and love your enemies. Let me tell you, that's the, that's the cure for the world's problems. Love your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus on the cross shows us how much he loves us, how much he loved the people there by uttering these words, these words that are unthinkable to me. And the very first words that Jesus uttered from the cross are found in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, when Jesus, and remember, I'm leaning in now, and I'm waiting for him to curse the crowd. I'm waiting for him to call down fire from heaven. And Jesus says, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Do what, Jesus? Forgive them? How can you say that, Jesus? They just whipped you beyond human recognition. They just spit on you. They've got you strapped to a cross. You've got a crown. There's blood dripping from your body. They've slapped you. They beat you. How can you say, forgive them? Jesus, if I was there and if I'm in your spot and I'm hanging from that cross, number one, I'm just trying to hold my composure. But if I can utter any words at all, I'm saying, God, take this pain away and strike all these people dead. But no, Jesus, you say, forgive them. Forgive them. 
Forgive them? How can you utter those words? It's absolutely amazing to me that in the midst of this agonizing pain, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Now the question then becomes, who is them? Again, put yourself in the scene. I'm standing there beside Jesus and he says, Father, forgive them. And I realize he's talking to me. And I look around me and I see the religious leaders and I realize he's talking to them. And I look around me some more and I see the soldier who put the crown of thorns on his head and I'm thinking he's saying that to him. And I'm looking around me and I see the disciple who betrayed him and I realize he's saying it to him. And I look around me and I see all these people and I realize that Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. I mean, if anybody needs it, it's us. We're here. We're the ones that nailed him to the cross. Father, forgive them. And it's real easy in moments like this to pull ourselves out of the story and to just read the words on paper and to think he's only talking to that crowd that day. But I don't think that when Jesus was hanging on that cross, he was only speaking to those who were present that day. I think that Jesus was looking down throughout the ages of time and he was looking at April 4th, 2021 and he was looking at Destiny Church and he was looking at you and he was saying, I forgive them. I think he was talking to you. I think he was talking to me. But you see, when you think about it, we're just as guilty as the ones who were there that day. We're just as guilty as the one who put the crown of thorns on his head. We're just as guilty as the one who slapped him. We're just as guilty as the one who spit on him. We're just as guilty as the one who nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. We're just as guilty as the disciple who betrayed him. We're just as guilty as a religious crowd. We're just as guilty as all of them. Yet Jesus looks at us and says, Father, forgive them. He knew you on your worst day. He knew you when you failed. He knew you in your rebellion. He knew you in your sin. He knew you in your shortcomings. He knew you in your loneliness. He knew you in your pain. And he looked down throughout the ages of time and he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. It's important to note when you read this story, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, it was not this unilateral statement of forgiveness that didn't require repentance or faith on your part. Yes, when he forgave that day, he intended it for all. Forgiveness was the reason he went to the cross. But it didn't mean there wasn't responsibility on our part. So Jesus today is willing and Jesus is waiting on you, but you have a part to play in your story. You have a part to play. If you want a story worth telling, you have to do your part. You have to repent. You have to change the way you think. You have to change the way you act. You have to change the way you live. If we skip ahead to verse 39, we see two people. They're being crucified with Jesus. Verse 39 tells us one of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him saying, what kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself and save us from this death. The criminal hanging on the other cross rebuked the man saying, don't you fear God, you're about to die. In verse 41, we deserve to be condemned. That's you. That's me. We deserve it. 
We're just being repaid for what we've done. But this man, this innocent man, this perfect representation of God to humanity who, who is dying for you, he's healed the lame, the blind, the leper. He's forgiving sins right now. He's done nothing wrong. Then that same thief looks over at Jesus and I'm watching it again and I see this story and he says, I beg of you, show me grace and take me into your everlasting kingdom. And Jesus responded, listen to this, Jesus said, I promise you, this very day, you will enter paradise with me. I want you to hear me as I close. Jesus, when he came and died on the cross, he did that once and for all. He's never coming back to die again. He's already done it. He finished the work. It's completed. He's coming back again, but he's coming back victorious. He's coming back as a conquering hero, and he's coming back to take us home. But he's not coming back to die. He's already done that. But he's now waiting on you. He's now waiting on you. You see, all of us in this room, our response has to be that of the second thief. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. The truth is, here's the truth. Our response will always be that of one of the two thieves. Our response will always be that of one of the two thieves. But you say, Pastor Chad, I'm not saying no today. I'm just saying wait. But Pastor Chad, I'm not saying no today. I'm just saying when I get my act together. Pastor Chad, I'm not saying no today. I'm just saying when I'm done doing what I want to do, then I'll come back to Jesus. No, even though you might not think it's rebellion, or even though you might not be putting down a hard no, every time you deny Jesus, or every time you reject him, or every time you tell him, wait till another time, you're acting just like that second thief who rebelled. And you see that that first thief, he rebelled. And that first thief, he died without knowing Jesus. And according to what I see in Scripture, he died died without forgiveness. He died without hope. He died without a promise. But the second thief, he repented. And he died with the promise of hope and the promise of a future. He didn't live it out. But we see by his words that his heart was changed. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Father, you see, here's the truth. Father, forgive them. Let me say it this way. If you want a story worth telling, Father forgive them has to turn into Father forgive me for there to be a story of hope and redemption. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.